Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Welcome to this session on chit-chat. Well, that stopped you. Okay. Uh, Welcome to this session. Uh, My name is Brendan. I'm a recovering sexaholic and I'll be facilitating the session. I'm joined by Jim and uh, we're going to give you some talk on, do you remember what it is? Design for living, no expectations. So don't have any expectations of us, all right? Um, Each of us will share a recovery on this topic. Then we'll take some time to answer questions. Questions will be taken from the Ask It basket. All right, we won't. We'll just do it from the floor. And um, if you wish to participate... Oh, to help that. Um, In the spirit of the fifth tradition... All right, in the spirit of the fifth tradition, to carry this message, this is a recorded session. The recording equipment will not be turned off during the session. We ask that you please silence all cell phones. Um, and so the essay purpose, we'll, sorry, we'll open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The essay purpose. Okay, there we uh, the essay purpose, Sexaholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop lusting and become sexually sober. There are no dues or fees for SA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. SA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sexually sober and help others to achieve sexual sobriety. And, um, okay, uh, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to turn it over to Jim, who's going to talk for about 20, 20 25 minutes. Um, I'm going to indicate like sort of at uh, 15, yeah. and you, you can pull it up in your own time there. And, uh, and then I'll do the same, and then we'll open it up for questions or for for comments. So, Jim. Hello, everybody. My name is Jim D. Uh, Recovering. Hi, Jim. Hey, everybody. Good to to have you all here. Um, My mom is from Mobile, so I get to say y'all. I I grew up with it, so it's not a... I love being in Tennessee because I I feel at home in the South, even though I've never lived here. Um, So, yeah, Jim D., Recovering Sexaholic from Boston, Massachusetts. My sobriety date is September 1st, 1996. And when I was asked yesterday to uh, speak on without expectations, um, I don't know, I didn't really, it seemed like a broad topic to me, uh, like expectations about what. And uh, I can say with absolute certainty that uh, 1993, 94, when I came to the program, I uh, went to my first meeting. 
and then you know didn't figure it out right away for probably a couple three years before I got honest uh, with my with myself and with my wife. That was my sobriety date. September first is the day that I'll never forget the uh, fear of having to like oh I really got to do this. Uh, but back then I had no expectation that I would be here in front of you know. One, two, three, let's just say 60 people, uh, and not really having a public speaking background that I could, that I would be up here and speaking re- reasonably intelligently, I hope, about uh, all the things that, that, you know, I had no idea were coming down the pike. And, you know, my next, and so I have no paper in front of me, I have no preparation. I've done some other, you know, over the years, some speaking and uh, was told that. Best not to prepare too much, and which for me, I, I don't know if you can raise your hand if you want, uh, research junkie, that's me. I got, in my day job, I need to research, that, that's what I do. So for me, not writing something out at first, and you know, another weakness I have or where I can go overboard is um, you know, over-preparing. I'm, I'm big on, you can also raise your hand again if you identify, I love making the bed in the morning just because... It's on the list. I can check it off. It's easy. It's done. Uh, this kind of stuff, standing up in front of people without kind of any plan of where I'm going other than the parameters of no expectations, is a little scary for me. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking of a couple things that I can kind of anchor as I, as I go forward here in the next 15, 20 minutes. Is one is the promises. Um, and I guess before I get to the promises, I need to just qualify for the, uh, you know, for essay here and, and talk a little bit about the the powerlessness of things. So I'll, I'll share a pretty shameful thing is my, my first marriage, and this is just to illustrate the craziness of things, and then I'll move on to the hope and the promises, is first marriage, uh, my wife was, I think, about eight months pregnant, and she had some issues, had to go to the hospital, I went with her to the hospital, and was told that, oh, it's a high blood pressure thing. Um, why don't you go back home and rest? And my thought was, I don't want to go back home because I don't know where I'm going to go. I may not go back home. I want to just stay here. And they said, no, no, go back home. So I didn't go home. I went and acted out in a pretty, you know, uh, and we'll get into details of it, but it was with someone else. And, you know, I was... Didn't get back till I think maybe two or three in the morning, and my wife called and said, "Where have you been? We just gave birth to our daughter." And um, you know, so from that point on, there was that was not my bottom. Scared, you know. I wish I could say that that was my bottom, but so lots of consequences, lots of damages, um, lots of um, you know financial. I think my I used to think for a while that oh my. Um, I just expected that well, if I got honest and kind of divulged all this stuff, things would work out between me and her. And, um, you know, that was not the case. My divorce cost, I think, $17,000. And I used to think, like, well, I only acted out this. She'd asked me at one point, how many times did you do this? And I said, I counted them for what I can remember. And I said, 11. And I didn't, you know, of course, of a five-year marriage, I didn't really think that was a big deal. So, um, and 
So there's lots of things that I could go on and on about the, the damage done and the wreckage and those kind of things. But to get back to the you know the theme of kind of lay the groundwork for this presentation, the expectations is I didn't expect to be in an SA room. Uh, I don't even know back in '93 if I had never heard of SA. Um, I remember going to having to be you know go to therapy and those kind of things. But it, um, I didn't expect when I was a little kid to. I didn't even know what a sexaholic was. I had heard of AA. That's not my experience. I don't have experience in that program. But being uh, going to SA was not a part of the picture I had for myself. Um, so getting back to the promises, fast-forwarding many years, many times through the steps with the sponsor and um, doing the work, is I sort of expected lust to just go away. You know, like if I just do the work, I'm going to be removed of the, all these defects. I, I tend to treat the steps early on as more of a, a checklist. You know, like, oh, I'll just, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, yep, number two, yeah, there's something about um, powerlessness. Yeah, I'll make amends with these people, blah, blah, blah. And I'll just be cured. Let me get my certificate and let me move on uh, to what is ever next outside the program. So obviously not an early adopter of essays, uh, traditions. But, you know, I found through, like I say, working with a sponsor and um, that and doing the steps on a regular basis in different formats that the promises, I don't have them in front of me, but I can tell you that I wouldn't expect. I've been married now for 26 years. First, you know, three years were very rocky, but I wouldn't expect that I'd be coming to a convention. My wife is off. She's not in the other, the Essendon program, but works her own. Issue she's off having a great time uh, doing stuff in, in Nashville. Um, and for me, the, the promises are coming true that I can speak. Like right now, I don't, I don't feel tense. Um, I don't feel shameful, just like more of the fact than the past is the past. Uh, not to say that I, I won't have you know, thoughts of it later or, or shame later, um, but the promises for me are coming true. And, you know, there's a lot more joy, a lot more gratitude. And I really feel like, um, you know, there's still challenges at work and relationships and some of those kind of things. But I can think of another example, doing an eighth step with someone or a ninth step, um, with someone from the family and just expecting it to like, this is not going to go well. I have to go back to a different state. I have to do this. Um, and, you know, I wasn't triggered I wasn't, um, I just did what I needed to do, and it went okay. I mean, there wasn't a ticker tape parade for me or anything, but uh, it, was, it was nice just to, to be, have the, that burden removed. And I sort of expected that, I guess, after reading through the promises and talking about different meetings and, and doing the work. Um, but it's like somewhere in the literature it says something like, you know, sometimes these things were taken care of slowly, sometimes quickly. Um, so I think the expectation that I had goes hand in hand with uh, feeling like I deserve it. Um, and for a while there, I I went through the steps, but I don't know if that I felt like I really deserved it. I just felt like, well, I'll do the work and maybe there's going to be some payoff. I have to trust the process. Um, but now I'm more and more with the progressive victory feeling like, all right, I I do... I know I need to do this for myself, not for anybody else, but I don't know. I'm not 100% buying in that I, I deserve it. I still feel like there's some sort of self-flagellation going on, 
you know, cracking the whip on my back. And if you talk to my sponsor and my wife, you know, an often thing that they'll, the thing that they often tell me is, you know, when are you going to just let yourself off the hook a little bit? Um, you know, cause I expect to use that word again a little bit more. I expect, uh, perfection and it's not a reasonable expectation. It's like, I expect more for myself than I do. I don't know. I wouldn't say necessarily. I, I expect more of myself than other people in general, but I expect that if I put my best foot forward, that other people are going to do the same. And that's not going to happen. Uh, I don't know why, the, the craziness of the disease or you know whatever you want to call it, but it's something that I just need to keep surrendering. And another, how am I doing on time, by the way? That's, that's 15. I'm at 15? Okay, good. Yeah, if I don't use the whole thing, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I had a nice chat this morning with someone. Like I, I like I said before, I'm, I'm a research junkie. I like having things planned down to the minute. And my first convention was three years ago. I mean, which in and of itself, it's like, why didn't I come to these conventions sooner? They're pretty cool. <laughs> Waited, uh, you know however many years, a dozen, 20 years before I started going to these things. Uh, And my first convention, I expected, oh, here's the schedule. I'm going to go to all these. And as you might expect, I was very tired after the first one. I was very spent. Uh, it's It's emotionally exhausting. The second one, last January in Spain, was a little bit lower, more low key, more Things So um, fewer things that I felt like I had to be at. And this time around, I didn't even expect to be speaking. I was like, I'm just going to show up and, and see what happens. So I feel like the, the progress is kind of nice and lowering my expectations. Like, oh, I got to meet all these people that I've talked to on the phone. And I got to, you know, go to all these different meetings. I got to learn more about the program. And now it's just like, just meet who you meet and Someone else told me today, like, yeah, just kind of let it happen. That's what he was doing. And I have talking to him for probably about half an hour or 45 minutes. And it was great. Um, doesn't have to be, you know, I don't need to take notes. I don't need to, you know, go home and study them and try and, you know, work harder. Uh, I just need to work the, the simplicity of it and keep working the steps. And I guess just the last thing um, in terms of, what I didn't expect, and part of the promises. Uh, anyone else in here speak Spanish or another language? Hablo español, muy bien, bienvenido. Is I studied and you know, I was a Spanish teacher. I lost that job in teaching days. Um, I, but I still continue with it, and I didn't have any idea that you know I'd be working with the inner groups in, in Latin America, that I would be at a convention in Spain. That I, you know, every day I get to speak Spanish and help people. Um, so it's just one of the, the joys that if I, I, that I just know in my own heart that if I keep working with my sponsor, keep being honest, keep leading with my weakness, um, using the tools of the program, that God's going to take care of me. It may not be in the form that I, you know, want him to do it or that, you know, my brain is like, oh, this is the way it's going to play out. And it's not that way, but overall, when I look back and reflect on the last 20, um, 27 years, I guess, is when I joined, first joined SA, 
that it's all good. I mean, I still don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I still have the choice to act out or, or not. Um, but just to see so many smiling faces, people that are paying attention, not sleeping, thank you, is that, um, you know, I, I just trust that someone's going to take something away from this and help, and it'll help them just as it's helped me. So, and I guess the last thing that I wasn't really expecting, when I made my expectation when I came into this is like, oh, I'm going to go second. And then Brendan asked me, said, do you mind if you go first? Um, so I said, sure. Um, so with that, uh, I'm happy to answer any questions when the time is right, but I'll hand it over to my, my brother from Ireland, Brendan. I think you can take a couple of questions now. Thank you. I think we can have a couple of questions now. Yeah. Okay. If everybody has anything particular. Or you can save them for later. Doesn't matter. That is a really fight. You're not expecting a question. I was. <laughs> There's one down here. Rather than a question, I want to make a comment. Okay. You know, uh, we and what's your name? are celebrating 50 years of essay. Uh, I've been in uh, SA for about 10 years. But uh, my comment is that uh, we're an international fellowship, and this is the international conference. Why don't we start opening to allow people, the public speakers, to come and have also sessions in which they can hear people that have strength, experience, and hope. You know, you speak Spanish. And there is uh, one sad commentary about Spanish in the United States. There is, that I know, there is no essay fellowships in Spanish. Even in Mexico, in Colombia, everywhere else. But we have to remember there's about 60 million Spanish speakers that live here. We are not, I think, making the, you know, the message which this fellowship <laughs> available to them, maybe because of cultural or political or, or other reasons, you know, you know, the judicial aspects of many of them. So, but I can attest that sexualism is one and alive in that community. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't see the kind of, uh, I guess, uh, abuse of the female, uh, you know, body, the female behavior and things like that in that community. Okay, I understand. If I if I can um, maybe address that, my I, own I will address it. I'm, I I'll address it when I come to the. Okay, and if you want to talk to me afterwards, I can address it from my own personal experience and oh, some recommendations. Oh, if you want to say something, to me, okay. please go ahead. Um, yeah, two thoughts. One, I agree. Uh, number two, there is um, there's 
there's a whole translation committee, a service structure. There's the buddy list. There's other ways for us to, and I've spoken to people in the U.S., uh, you know, who speak Spanish in Latin America. It's, you know, whoever plans a convention, I think that comment is maybe more directly on, on the planning committee. So I would encourage anyone who feels that way to, um, you know, contact the, the event organizers. Um, but I can relay that, relay that to others. Uh, the second is I mentioned the buddy list. It's it's great to get to know, um, kind of build like a foundation in other languages, and it's it's super. It's just you get to meet people from other cultures, other programs, because like you said, it is an international fellowship, and I've found it very rewarding to learn about those, and even the the people that are coming from a different country. There's there's other, you know, the United States is. Um, a lot of people from other cultures who still speak that language. So uh, my experience is that I got to I speak plenty plenty of Spanish in the U.S. with people, and my hope is that you know there'll be more done on that from a you know essay level. But we can talk maybe a little bit more after that. So my name is Sergio. I'm a sexaholic from Houston. Hi, Sergio. So uh, to go on the topic and taking that into account, so I moved to Houston in 2008. When I moved there, I started in a program in the DC area where we had like three or four meetings a day. Uh, in Houston, we had three meetings a week, and two of those were at the same time. <laughs> and in like not even Houston, in the suburbs, like opposite sides of town. Today we have nine meetings a week. Okay, and this progress, I mean, part of that is that I helped to start about four of those meetings, and sometimes it just, it made me be by myself for, like, weeks, and that's why, like, there's some meetings there where we don't get in a circle and hold hands because at times there were two of us. <laughs> I get it. Um, so anyways, the point is that I was getting frustrated when I was showing up by myself or two of us. And my sponsor told me, look, it'll grow in God's time. Just show up. No expectations. Okay, I speak Spanish. I've been there. I'm available. But it's not up to me. I'm available, you know. And I, and I think that's what it comes down to for me. It's just so long as I show up, you know, I'm getting the benefits. Now when and how that's going to grow in terms of a meeting in Spanish or English... I never expected to have nine meetings in Houston, but here we are. So that's my experience with Thanks. Thanks, Sergio. Yeah. No, no, it's not over, but we'll go. We, we, sorry, we, we, no, we, we'll come back for more questions and comments later on. We just took two now, just to sort of keep it going. No, 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 I'm going to speak. Okay. Do you mind? <laughs> Apologies there. No, we got to move it on. Uh, yeah, if you would mind. Have you got to walk anything? Do you use your phone if you like. I said it at 25. It's the same, no? Okay. Um, yeah, my name is Brendan. I'm a sexaholic. And... Uh, and I'm wearing this because I, I, I've had a bad flu and uh, they told me this morning I had a bit of pneumonia and, uh, and it was not my expectation to have that. <laughs> you know? 
I, I expected to be downtown listening to country music. You know, not stuck in a hotel room up here. Oh, dear. Listening to the rest of the trustees through my phone. I was supposed to, I'm one of the trustees and I was supposed to be down there with them. Instead, I had to listen to them through my phone. Really bad reception. Yeah? But, um, you know, no expectations. I don't prepare for these things and I did today because I've got a short period of time. Yeah? Give me five days, I can keep talking, no problem. But uh, 20 minutes, very difficult. Um, so it's a design for living with no expectations. And, you know, expectations, let me just stop, to answer you about the, um, the other languages, other languages, languages other than English. I'm not going to allow people to say foreign languages, okay? <laughs> okay? This year, I think you're going to be safe enough at this distance. This year, we, we ran the SIM International Essay Marathon, and for the first time, we had a channel dedicated solely to languages other than English. We had 14 languages on there. We had Swahili, we had Hindi, we had Slovakian, German, Polish, we had like sort of, you know, it was just, it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. We had six hours, I think it was six hours of Spanish fellowship online. And the reason we did it, I was, I, 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 I'm Irish, nationalized Peruvian. And I've been working on the SIM for the last three or four years. And I noticed we started last year, the last year we had a couple of sessions, you know, just a couple of sessions in, in other languages. And it just became apparent, this is crazy. You know, we're all around the world. There's people in all different languages. And here we are expecting that they have to speak English and everything has to be in English. We really need to recognize SA has changed. This is not, <laughs> I got into trouble. I said we were mom and pop operation the other day. I said, you know, like, the thing about it is, this is worldwide. You know, we had people on there from Kenya, like sort of, you know, four or five people from Kenya talking about what's going on down there. We had people from India, we had people from Asia, we had people all over the place. There's wonderful stuff happening. And there's really, really, you know, and they're so enthused and they want to be part of this. And we really need to make an effort to be able to reach out to them. And, it's, and, and obviously, right here at home, We've got to do the same thing. You know, we've got, we got this thing, oh, well, you know, like, so, you know, it costs money, you know, it costs money, and it's just, these things, whatever. And, you know, we've, we've got to sort of step up to this. We've got people who've got hearing difficulties. We've got people who've got sight difficulties. We've got people who've got difficulties with, with mobility. We have to make SA accessible. Yeah? This is going worldwide. Okay. All right. You know, and, 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 and we want that to be, that one, that, that's really important. That's important to me. So I got a lot of expectations there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I will be stepping on a lot of toes. Okay. Expectations have often been called premeditated resentments. And resentments, they tell us, are the number one offender. You know, and that we must be free of these resentments. And the root of the resentments is not lust. The root of the resentments is selfishness and self-centeredness. And Bill W. says that the price for sobriety is the destruction of self-centeredness. And I think we spend an awful lot of time focusing on, like, you know, well, we're kind of acting out or this, that, and the other, whatever. It's just, 
What kind of selfishness am I carrying? What ways am I manifesting that? What are my demands? And, you know, Bill, what, what it says in the big book is that these, this, this selfishness, to get rid of this selfishness, we have to have God's help. And that the way to get God's help is to quit playing God. You know? I have, to, I have to actually accept the world the way it is. Because every time I say that there is something wrong with the situation, there's something wrong with my job, there's something wrong with the wife, there's something wrong with the speaker. <laughs> <laughs> you can say it to my face, it's okay to me. Yeah? <laughs> but like, any time I'm feeling like that, you know, this is not right, I'm saying God's got it wrong. And if God's got it wrong, then I'm playing God. And it tells me that if I'm playing God, then that self will run riot. And if it's self will run riot, it's going to kill me. So I got a choice. Do I want to have it my way? Do I want to gripe and moan and complain and wallow in self-pity? And it's not fair this and it's not fair that. And look at this. And why is he the president? And why is this going on here? And why is that going on there? And just, just you know, bring it on down. You know, bring it on down. Because for me, no expectations is about freedom. It's about real freedom. You know, it's not like I don't have imaginings, (laughs) you know. It's not I don't end up doing some really incredible things. But I don't expect that they have to happen. I haven't seen my daughter in three years. She lives in Peru. Last few years, I've been back in Ireland. I came back. I've been four years working in Australia. I came back, and I've been back in Ireland the last three years. And just the work hasn't been good and this sort of thing. But I thought for a long time, all this year, I thought, man, I'm going to Nashville. And that's not that far from Peru. (laughs) Well, it's a lot closer than Ireland. (laughs) Jesus, do you know anything about the geography? Look, it's a lot closer so it must be cheap to get there. <laughs> no, it's not. Yeah? And I went, I went right up. I didn't buy my ticket to come here until like a couple of weeks before I was supposed to come. Because yeah? I was waiting on the possibility. So here's the thing. I don't have expectations, but I'm quite prepared for God to pull it out of that. So I give him opportunities. I buy a lotto ticket every few months. <laughs> I buy one line. I buy one line. I don't want to annoy him. I buy one line. Okay? <laughs> Just in case he needs to get a lot of money to me quickly. <laughs> I, I, I don't tend to buy the five million ones. When he gets to about 124 million, you know, I could use that. Otherwise, I'm okay being kind of poor. Now, so I have to quit playing God. And I've got to follow his direction. That's how I'm going to escape from the bondage of self. Bill W., 20 years sober. Founder of AA, 20 years sober. He's going into depression. What's going wrong? What does Bill find out? 
He goes to his friend, Father Ed Dowling, who's like this Jesuit priest. He said, Father Ed, like, said, what's going on? You know, I'm going to the meetings. I'm putting out the table or the chairs. I'm taking away the ashtrays and this sort of things. And I'm going into depression. And Bill suffered really bad depression, so he didn't want to get it again. And Father Dowling said to him, he says, Bill, you're too dependent on AA for your sense of security and self and prestige. And Bill started to look at that and he said, what does this mean? And he decided that what it meant was he had these absolute dependencies on people and on circumstances to give him his sense of self-worth. And he had these, what he says is he says that like, you know, that, that demand for the perfect relationship and the perfect job is okay at 17, but at 47 or 57, you should have copped on by now. It ain't happening, you know? And so... Bill's there and he's going to the meetings and he's Bill, you know, he's Bill. He comes in and like everybody's, oh, there's Bill, you know, and Bill. And then eventually he goes in and somebody says, are you new? Huh? <laughs> and Bill's been feeding himself from the fellowship. And when he doesn't get the feed to the level of his expectation, his what did somebody, what was the word that we use? Perfectionist demands. He got depressed. And he found that what he was going to have to do was that he was going to have to root out these absolute dependencies, root and branch. And he went away and he looked at it. Now, I, I had read that and I looked at it and I couldn't really get my head around it. I couldn't work out what my demands were until I heard a fellow called Tom Brady. And Tom Brady Jr., he talks about emotional sobriety. 26 years sober, he wants to kill, he doesn't want to kill himself, he just wants to die. His wife of 11 years has left him. You know, she dies a year later in a car crash. He's got cancer. He's got emphysema. He's just got nothing to live for. And then he finds Bill's letter. And he reads Bill's letter. And he starts to realize what he's been doing. He had this insatiable need for people to tell him that they loved him and how great he was. But he couldn't accept it. He was full of safe self-hatred. And he started to realize that self-hatred is worse than pride. Because with self-hatred, we push God aside and we say, it doesn't matter if God forgives me, I don't. I'm not going to forgive myself. And so now I'm playing God. And if I'm doing that, I'm in serious danger. I, um, I have a relationship with, uh, with a woman who's the mother of my, my son. And, uh, and, and, and let's say it, it went downhill. And uh, it was extremely painful. And I thought I could fix it by doing the program. You know, she was, she was there with me when I, when, I, when I came into AA 19 years ago. Actually, it was 20 years ago now. And, um, and eight years later when I came into SA. And I got into SA and I thought, oh, this is what I'm going to do. I'll do the steps. I'll do it really thoroughly, you know. Uh, I'll find out all my defects, hand them over to God. He'll take them all away. I'll be perfect. I'll be back with her. She'll be back with me. Everything will be hunky-dory. Six months, not a problem. Uh, that was like 14, 15 years ago. And, uh, and, and it's not happened. But the sponsor that I had encouraged me not to abandon the idea of the, of the relationship at the time. Uh, um, but to stay committed and not to go off looking for another relationship. And it was extremely painful. I mean, it was just horrendous. I'd, I'd ring and I just wanted one word for her to say that she was happy with our child and I'd be okay. 
Didn't have to say anything about me. I'd be okay. Because if she's okay, I could be okay. But if she's not okay, my guilt is telling me she's sitting there thinking badly about me. And if she's sitting there thinking badly about me, there is no way that I can be peaceful in myself. My life is, is poisoned by that. It's poisoned by my need. And she's wise. She told me, I ain't giving you this validation. So I came about, across this, this, this tape by... by Tom Brady, and I listened to it, and, and I realized that my, 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 dependence, my, my, my dependence was on women, and always had been since I was a child, to give me that feeling of, 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 of being, being okay in me. My mother always stood up for me. My father just, we didn't, let's say we didn't get on too well. And, um, and so I used relationships with women to make me feel okay about whatever was going on. The house could be burning down around me, but if she's happy, we're okay. Do you know what I mean? That's like, I can block it out just the same as I could use narcotics or alcohol or any other sort of thing to block it out. Because what it does is it changes my brain chemistry and it makes me feel okay and I like the effect. There is an actual chemical change in my brain through this. So I realized that I was really, I was dominated by this and I was never going to be free. So I started to pray to God to be free of the need for the mother of my son or any woman to give me my sense of self-worth. And when I did, I I got an awareness of the 11-step prayer in which Bill W. had said he knew that the answer was in the 11-step prayer. It was in that part in the middle where it says, God grant that I might seek rather to comfort than to be comforted to understand than to be understood and to love than to be loved. And I understood, I had always thought that the prayer was a little bit like a prayer to be a saint. And what I realized, it's a prayer to be free. Because if what I do is for fun and for free, then I don't have to put a price on what you have to do for me to be okay. I don't have to be upset because I've shown love and you haven't shown me love. I've given a gift, you haven't given me a gift. You know, I can be free of this thing. I can do sponsees. There's a good place to try. Yeah? You know, I mean, some of them can be kind of annoying. <laughs> Every so often you get one of those kind of like, kind of really moody, you know, like, so, you know, like, kind of guy who slams your door or goes out because you're on the phone talking to somebody else. You know, in your house. And, and, and I'm going, in my house? He's going to do that in my house? <laughs> and then I'm thinking... I invited him to my house. I don't have to invite him again. But if I do invite him again, it's got to be for fun and for free. If I'm putting any kind of obligation on anybody to do anything because I've done something so that I'll be okay with the relationship, then it's not for fun and for free. I'm, in, 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 I'm bartering stuff here. I'm not giving love. I'm buying. I'm, trying to, I'm coercing you into giving me what I need for me to be okay. So I started to pray. Like, okay. I started to pray, and the first year I realized I had to give up the expectation of the relationship. Well, you know, it was just it was just too damn painful. And a year or two later I realized I had to give up the hope of the relationship. Because If I say, I hope, God, that this relationship is going to happen, I'm not leaving God free with what's supposed to happen. I'm creating 
criteria for my happiness. And if that doesn't happen, then I ain't going to be happy. So I'm, I'm, I'm narrowing down what God can do to make me happy. Yeah. I then found I had to give away the need. That sense that like sort of without a relationship, there's something missing in me. I've been sober now, thanks to the program, for 11 and a half years. And I could, you know, when I first got into this, I was in Japan. And I had a guy who was a sponsor and he'd been sober for three years at one stage. And I, was, I remember standing there looking at him. It was like, because he hadn't been married at the time. And I thought, three years? Like, celibate? You know, that is not my idea of a good time. And <laughs> it's not doesn't sound like a good program to me. <laughs> I ain't doing that. Six months, six months, and it's all back and hunky-dory, yeah? I ain't married. <laughs> and I'm astounded that sex is not the issue. It's just not the issue. Would I like a relationship? Yeah, maybe. You know, there's a lot to be said for living on your own. Oh, God. I like to sort of say, when you live on your own, if there's a towel on the floor, there are options. (laughs) And so, if I'm going to give up if I'm going to give up that level of freedom, I really want to be sure that it's God's plan. Because I know he wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. So even if the person that's coming down the line is going to be awkward, he's going to guarantee I'll be happy, joyous, and free anyway. But I want it to be his plan and not mine. I then had to realize I had to give up the desire. And I was worried about that. I was thinking, man, does this mean I'm going to be sort of, am I, am I kind of neutering myself altogether here with the desire? And, and the thing about it is, is like, my desire is to get as close to God as I can and as close to his will. Because it tells me in the big book, I've got a new employer being all powerful. He's going to give me what I need if I stay close to him and do his work well. Now, that's, that's, that's an ironclad guarantee that it's going to be okay if I stay close to God and I do his work well. And the best way for me to do that is to be in the program and to be working the program. The last year I realized I had to give up the obsession. There's a part in me, there's a part in me which is obsessed with the need to make it right. The obsession, the need to go back and to be able to show I can do it, I can get that person back, and then they will say to me that I really was the love of their life and it's going to be okay, and then I can be all all right. I have a real problem letting go. And then I have to let go of the anger. The anger at myself for what I did that brought me to this situation, and the anger at God for not like sort of following my instructions. So what, so I've worked through, and I'm going to finish up, I've got, I've got five minutes, Jesus, okay, this is great, this is God at work, okay. Um, so, I, I came across a guy called Dr. Tom Berger. Dr. Tom Berger is a well-known speaker on the U.S. circuit, and he's sort of this 
And he's done a really amazing amount of work on looking at Bill's letter in relation to the major psychotherapists like Fritz Perl and people like this. And I thought that was all psychobabble, but it was really, really important to me to understand where Bill was coming from. And Bill was like revolutionary where he was coming from with this whole thing. And Dr. Berger came up with a, an inventory where you would look at the upsetting event and you would look at the unhealthy dependency and then you'd look at the unhealthy demand and then he'd have you look at what was your reaction? Because he says there's three reactions that we have to an upsetting event, usually. The first one is that we move towards the person and we say, oh, look, I'm really sorry, and this, that, and the other. Second one is we move against and we go to war with them. And the third one is we go away and we go upstairs and we sulk. Huh? And he gives a good example. He goes, a fellow comes home with his uh, six-month chip. And he comes through the door and he says to his wife, says, look, honey, got a six-month chip, you know? And she goes, oh, yeah. And he's really deflated. So he goes upstairs and he's up there and he's like, sort of, you know, he's all upset. And, you know, what he had to look at was, well, what was upsetting was like that he had this dependence, he had this need for his wife to validate him so that he could enjoy his sobriety. What he had done didn't have value until somebody else said it had value. And then linked to that, there was a demand. And the demand was that she would always validate him in whatever situation, even though she'd gone through 20 years of, you know, addictive life with him. And uh, so he moved away, went upstairs. And, and then the, the next column was a column which is you know, to look at what do I need to realize in order to stay sober? And what he needed to realize is that the value in his sobriety was a value to him. And I don't, you know, my sobriety, I would love to share. You know, they sort of say, oh, wouldn't it be lovely to share a sunset with somebody else? Wouldn't you know, how do you share a sunset with somebody else? You see it through your eyes, they see it through theirs. You don't know exactly what they're seeing. You might be able to sort of have this kind of harmonious this sort of thing. But the truth of the matter is the joy comes out of what I receive from that, from that sunset. And I, I've, I've become aware that people have said, like, you know, nobody can make me happy, so nobody can take away my happiness. My happiness, it comes from now, it comes from inside, it comes from my relationship with God. I'd be living on a building site, and for one stage I had six months without a bathroom. I had no floor in the kitchen. The sink was hanging from ropes. In the, on the ceiling, and I had to climb a ladder to wash the dishes. And, you know, people kind of wondered how I was doing this. And I was, I was, I was, I was, I was really, I was, I was comfortable. I was comfortable. I had a roof over my head. You know, I had food on the table. I was doing up an old house. It was like, you know, God has a plan. Where's the problem? Where's the problem? You know? And, and, and it's just so easy to live. Now, I, do, I, get, I, I get frustrated because I don't have enough money. I've got two kids in Peru. Trying to maintain them when you haven't got full-time employment is difficult. Huh? But it's not fully my obligation. My obligation is to stay close to God. And he's going to provide what I need. And sometimes what I need may be to stand back and to let them move on some ways themselves. So I'll just finish with a couple of things. You know, if I'm being fired from a job, it's God's plan. Huh? 
You know, I, was, I had this nice position in Australia. I thought it was going to last. New boss came in. They just closed all the doors. And when I saw it happening, at first I want to go to war. That's what I do. And then I thought, wait a minute. God's moving me. Get ready to go. Get ready to go. You know? And I ended up in the middle of the Amazon jungle in uh, Colombia, as you would. And, you know, doing something that I had wanted to do for eight years, you know, with these four indigenous tribes in the middle of the Amazon, where an Irishman had gone a hundred years ago to highlight their, the murder of them. And I got there and they just welcomed me. I was warned, they don't like whites, they don't like researchers, man, they just love me. <laughs> they just took me in, they said, you can do what you like. So I wanted to say that because what I wanted to say is giving up expectations does not mean giving up dreams. You can dream. You can have visions. You can say, you know, I got a bucket list, you know? That was one of the things on my bucket list. And when I did it, it was just like, you know, I can die happy with that sort of stuff. So if anybody's interested in more of this, which is all around emotional sobriety, be sure and come to me. I can send you materials. It's done wonders in my life, and you've done wonders to get me over my cold today. Thank you. Okay, now this is being recorded, so if people want to come and speak, can I ask you to, to start to come up here maybe and start taking a few seats here, okay? And then come up and, and speak for a few minutes. There's a big room, there might be a lot of people, so if we keep it to about three or four minutes, shares, that'd be great. Yes? Do you want me to keep saying? Yeah. So I'll stage. And... No, oh, sorry, there's the stairs on the far side. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys very much. Um, I'm Joe. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Um, I really appreciate the message, but I, I guess I wanted to push the um, um, the understanding a little bit further. Uh, so, like I'm you talk about um, relationships, and for example, with my wife, if there's a if there's a towel on the floor. Um, what has to happen, <laughs> there is only one option, and that is to run, not walk, run to the towel and put it away. Um, and, and the reason why I'm okay with that is because of the other things that come in that relationship, obviously, the, the, the stuff that I get in return. And the court. So, so obviously, um, I guess relationships are um, a little bit of a, a voluntary contract. <laughs> And so there, there are healthy expectations that come with that. And you talk about uh, even friendships um, and fun and freedom. But, yeah, we place expectations, and some of them are okay, I think, in order for somebody to be defined as our friend. So is the idea that, um, and maybe I'm asking you to uh, clarify a little bit, is the idea that a good way to tell the difference between a healthy expectation, a life-giving expectation, versus an unhealthy expectation to kind of just look to our higher power and to see if it's sort of consistent with what we think God expects or God wants from us? Yeah, I, I just, I, I'll talk to that one because it's, it's a really important one that came through the, um, uh, the, 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 the material I was listening to. And there is a rabbi who talked about, he said, if you have to show one of two things, respect, respect, 
or love, you better show respect. Because if you don't show respect, you can't show love. Love without respect is not, is not love. And I think what, he's, what he was getting at is, you know, and that's what you, what, you were, what you were talking about there. That's respect for your wife. And I think that's totally legitimate. I can live the way I live because I'm living on my own. If I, I'm training myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that should I get into a relationship, I actually can keep the house clean. Uh-huh. But, you know, this is, this, this, that is, that's kind of a process. And I, I told my sponsor about what was going on with the mother of my son and how painful it was. And he said to me, Brendan, she's doing her job perfectly. And I thought, he's definitely lost it now. <laughs> and he said to me, he said, she's going to teach you unconditional love. And I thought, man, that is so painful to learn. That is so painful. Because unconditional love is, you know, 150% not asking for anything back. And the important thing about this is, I may not be having that relationship with the mother and my son, but I'm working to have it with my son and with my daughter. Yeah. Because the danger is, when I'm out there, I'm demanding, you know, if I see my son and he's looking a bit glum, I, was, I, I said to him one day, I says, like, so, you know, well, you know, how are you doing? He says, okay. And I said, well, why don't you tell your face? You know. He was not impressed. He said to me, what, do you not like my face? And I thought, that sort of comment can ruin a relationship for 40 years. It can, it can really, really ruin a relationship. So I've got to change so, so much here. Now, I, there's a man down the back who was going to share, and I'm going to ask you to please come up here as well, if you would, so that we can have... You won't? Okay. And uh, I'll let you... Uh, hi, Mazel. This is going to fall. Um, I just wanted to thank you guys both for your share. Uh, I wanted to ask, you talked about um, letting go of uh, expectations and, and uh, desires and stuff like that. Um, I see about myself that I can accept whatever comes um, as from my higher power, but I still have this, uh, like, desire for, for something or this hope for something. Um uh, not necessarily in relationships, just in general. It can be anything, uh, uh, work, um, friends, um, things at meetings. And, and I have this, like, um, uh, um, hope that something will go somewhere. Or And, and I, I pray about um, letting go of it, but I was just wondering, aside from praying to uh, let go, like, if I can't let go, what, what do you do? Uh, what actions do you take in a practical sense to help you let go because I realize that I should let go I realize that everything is better when my higher power it's better when my higher power plans it not when I do like 100% but I still struggle with the actual act of of letting go of all my hopes and expectations Um, and I pray about it and I was wondering aside from just praying about it if you have any other practical things that you guys do one of the suggestions that we take two minutes each um, and then we'll have to close the thing because the time is sort of thing and then we'll, we'll, we'll have two minutes each to finish up. Well, is that okay? Okay, we can address that specific question. Yeah. Okay. 
Thanks for the question. I don't think I'll need the two minutes. My experience is um, when I don't know what to do, aside and obvi- the obvious, the logic is pray. Uh, I it's often heard in this. I've heard many times that this is a forgetting disease, and I forget that I need to call my sponsor. I'm not going to have all the answers. Work the steps. Call my sponsor. If he doesn't have the answer how to deal with this specific situation, the sooner I get over that fear of calling him, and I have the fear of calling him, like because he's going to tell me something that I don't want to hear or whatever. Um, but it's sooner I get it over with. My wife has an expression: uh, "Rip the bandaid off." Just ask for help in whatever form that comes: journaling, praying, call your sponsor. That's 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 what helps me get through those situations where I I got blind spots. I don't. I don't have all the answers, so um, that's all I have on that one. Hi, Emmanuel, becoming sexaholic. I just wanted to come in. Um, just identification of expectations from the wife. Um, it's my dream that she should come to an orchestra with me, to a symphony, to Mozart, and classical music doesn't speak to her. Um, she's not there yet. So I'm willing to spend time with her, but it's always okay. But it's going to get better than this. It's going to. She's going to, in the end, come with me to 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 the symph- or whatever I want to do, or to engage in a really, really deep intellectual, philosophical conversation for a long time, not just five minutes, which she can concentrate on me and then get distracted by other things. Um, and I'm beginning to realize that just spending the time together... I thought I really enjoyed just spending time together, but that spending time together is to get somewhere else. And it's not. It's just to accept things as they are and not to hope that she'll adulate Mozart like I do. Um, And I do that with my kids as well. Okay, he's getting better at maths. Hopefully he's going to be Einstein. And if he's not then there's no point giving him an ex- the extra maths list. And it, it's so all-pervading. And I just want to thank you for making me aware of that, that I've got to expect this situation as it is. Um, just the, the, the gray line is, you mentioned about giving up the expectations, but not the dreams. But if I continue dreams and dreaming and dreaming and dreaming, then does that, not, that dream not develop into an expectation? It can get um, quite gray there. I'm Ron. I'm a sexaholic. Um, I guess for me, as I think about expectations, uh, that old saying that my serenity in life is inversely proportional to my expectations, um, that for me, at first when I approached this issue, I thought about the moral rightness of my expectations, um, the the legitimacy of my expectations, the reasonableness of my expectations, But then I had to come to a point through my sponsor in the program to realize that are these expectations derailing my serenity? Are these expectations, and more importantly, the expectation unmet, getting me off track when it comes to my conscious contact with God, when it comes to my awareness of my own lust? And um, and, and, and as far as as experience, strength, and hope, uh, that really affected me badly because I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. This woman stood before God and man and said that she would participate in this relationship in this way. And now she's saying she's not going to participate in this relationship this way. 
wait a minute, I think that's a reasonable expectation, right? That's a reasonable expectation. Um, and you may think it's a reasonable expectation, but the fact was, life on life's terms, that expectation was going unmet and trying to say I'm right, is reasonable, it's legitimate, um, was just totally derailing my serenity. And I had a, a question um, to ask myself. Do I want to go after seeking, having all my expectations fulfilled, or do I want to seek serenity and sobriety? Um, and, and the last point, as I talk about, or we talk about higher power uh, in my faith tradition, um, not to bring it in, but just the higher power as I understand him, if he created everything, that high power created everything, the Lord of everything, and is powerful above all things, I wonder what are his expectations. And if I look around our world, I don't think everything is going the way he wants it. But yet, mm. you don't see all this turmoil in our higher power. You see serenity. You see peacefulness. And um, so, so who am I that I think all my expectations should be met, how I want them, when I want them, and the way in which I want them? And um, thinking that way, while it hasn't given me the things I think I've wanted, it's given me serenity. So I'm thankful for that. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for your leads. Really quick, um, uh, your talk about the, the relationship reminded me of something I learned. The concept of codependency, that's a lot of the, the give to get, all right, versus interdependency, which uh, one of the other shares was talking about. It's like, that's healthy, you know. You cook, I'll, I'll clean, all right. Th- that's a reasonable, you know, expectation or a reasonable arrangement. Okay, so codependency versus interdependency. And then on an earlier topic that came up of uh, languages, um, sim was great, okay, and that's once a year. Phone meetings are meetings, and they're in any language you want or that are currently, you know, done. Okay, you can check out the phone flyer, which is on the website, sa.org, phone meetings. And if your particular language group doesn't have their phone meetings listed there, contact the intergroup, the the virtual intergroup um, contact uh, listed there and get your meetings listed so that, um, you know, people looking for meetings in languages can get there. And I have personal experience. I know it works. I'm a true loner, okay, 10 years sober, and phone meetings work. I also do AA meetings face-to-face. I just tell them I'm an addict. I don't, I don't make them uncomfortable with my sex story, okay? Uh, but, um, you know, and I, I do face-to-face meetings when I travel. Uh, um, but it can, it, the phone meetings have grown to the point where they can help face-to-face, you know, weak, if you want to call it that, face-to-face uh, meetings grow in strength and sobriety. Because, I mean, there's some phone meetings that have over 50 people every single day. Okay, so so consider it, and that's that's just in English. Okay, so let's see what we can do in other languages, and that that's my high horse. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Jim again, recovering sexholic. I guess thanks everybody. Uh, good stuff. I the only thing I want to close with is you know going back to the expectations, and and you know maybe this is hope for for other people. Is when I get married the, the second time. In 1993, I, and this happened in my first marriage, I just expected, well, marriage, part of marriage is sex, and that's just the way things are done. And um, my second marriage started off okay, and then, you know, this wasn't my initiation, but sometimes you'll hear about, you know, we read about in the white book about a period of abstinence. Uh, Well, my period of absence that my wife instituted, and I don't think it really had so much to, 
you know, it wasn't 100% me and not trusting me. It was some sort of physical thing. But that kind of, all right, we're going to take a break from this has turned into 20 plus years and I don't really miss it. It's, it's liberating just to, it's not expected for sure. Like, uh, but it's, it's, it's so empowering just to know I don't have to, I don't have to worry about it. It's mind boggling to me to stand here and say it now for that long, but, um, I'm just very grateful that I, I did the work that I, you know, the things that uh, Brendan mentioned, I had the sponsor, I, I do the steps and surrender the expectation. Um, yeah, I dream every once in a while. Like, oh, it'd be nice to have that again with my wife. But we're intimate. We talk. It's it's not just the absence of sex. There's intimacy. I used to think just sex was intimacy. And now I have a total shift. So I'm very grateful for that. And I'll pass to uh, Brendan. Okay, just to finish up, thanks so much, all of you, for being here and giving us the chance. I just want to um, touch two things <laughs> Three. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's an Irish two. Um, if I go to a dry well, I ain't going to get water. And if I keep going to somebody looking for them to give me recognition, I will push them away. And what actually happens is somebody who loves me and would like to be around me finds it impossible to be around me because every time I show up, they have to be happy. And if they're not happy, they've got to change for me. And that is a demand upon them which is impossible and so it's just it becomes hurtful for them to be around me because it's almost I'm saying they're guilty all the time the second thing is that you know I've heard said that the only way to get to self-validation is through God consciousness and when I heard that I thought oh man like they mean 18 years in a monastery or in a you know cave or something I mean you know how are we going to do it and, and the word I got was that God consciousness is when I accept myself as I am and I accept you as you are and the world as it is right now. That's God consciousness because I'm accepting reality. I'm accepting God's reality. And finally, you know, somebody said, like, was asking about how do I know and how do I let go? How do I avoid taking that action? I was coming down today and I wasn't in the best of humor, you know. And before I was coming down, I had to ask myself, is what I'm going to do, is it absolutely honest, absolutely pure, absolutely unselfish and absolutely loving? Because if it's not, it's not God's will. Uh, and if I use those four absolutes, which come from way back when they first got them from the Oxford group, they can always help to guide me. Thanks so much. We're going to finish out with, um, I presume we're going to finish out with a serenity prayer. And can I just have that? Is it, there's something to be read there? Um, Anything you've heard of this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. The principles of SA are found in our 12 steps and 12 traditions. And let's close with the, the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. And take away my difficulties, so that victory over them may bear witness to those that would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do that I will always. Thank you. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Yep. Yeah.
like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.